quack quack welcome back to the quack Drill podcast everybody now we're continuing our uh pac 12 opponent roster previews here and we got a big one because it doesn't matter how bad this team is it doesn't matter how good our team is it doesn't matter how somebody season and it's going to screw over the entire pac 12 because that is the way it goes between these two teams that is right we are talking about the Stanford Cardinal. Oh boy, it's a big one. Um, so, you know, we had to get a guest that really knew what he was talking about, that has been covering Stanford sports for the Stanford Daily, for KZSU Sports Radio, covering it on his own Stanford basketball podcast, even. That is a guest that we've had in the past who we loved talking to. That is... Jabril Taha at Jabril Taha on Twitter, J-I-B-R-I-E-L-T-A-H-A. Jabril, welcome back to the show. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, excited to talk about Stanford, even though last year's team wasn't that good. And we have a, a really bad memory associated to playing Stanford, too. <laughs> um, and for that, we have Hithliday of Addicted to Quack. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Hithliday, the number one, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y, the number one. Hithliday, are you ready to talk about Stanford? Uh, you bet. I, I never want to stop talking about Stanford. It just <laughs> me with joy and uh, high expectations every time I even think about the team. That's right. Um, so these two teams destined to ruin each other's seasons forever. Um, I'm, I want to jump into this 2021 season, which has more lows than highs. But um, OK, let's get into it. So first of all, three road games. To start off the non-con, that is, that, or I guess non-con, USC, you got that weird week two, as is tradition. Uh, but starting off the season with three road games, uh, but you won two of them. So that must have felt kind of good, actually. Um, starting off with a loss against Kansas State, a 7-24 to loss. Only one touchdown scored from the Cardinal there. Uh, Skylar Thompson, however, two running touchdowns. Stanford was down 24-0, to actually, yep. so it really was... It was a beatdown until a last minute kind of on the last offensive snap, I do believe, was was the touchdown, the lone touchdown scored. That was, that was they were still split in time between yep. McKee and West at quarterback in that game, which was in uh, in hindsight and arguably <laughs> known at the time uh, was a pretty screwy decision, I thought. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I think, you know, that game's a lot closer if McKee plays the whole time. Uh, yeah, I have to agree with that, too. And lots of Stanford fans are still very, very upset at mm -hmm. how there was a quarterback competition going I mean, into that it, game. They could have won four games last year. So <laughs> I, know. I understand <laughs> how, how all the Stanford <laughs> fan is upset. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, against USC, against number 14, mm. USC. That is right. Uh, don't look at the rest of their season. Um, however, it was a beatdown, 42 to 28. You, you also kind of have that deal with USC. It seems like y'all are screwing each other's seasons over a lot. There's a lot of early season wins from the team that ends up being worse. I mean, that. was that really screwing USC though? Like it, it, Actually, it screwed the rest of the Pac-12. <laughs> it, it got Clay Helton fired. So like, we'll never forgive you, Jabril. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is true. Uh, Tanner McGee, two touchdowns. Nathaniel Pete. Uh, uh, it's unfortunate that he transferred because Nathaniel Pete, I always thought was like, the most Stanford name I had ever heard. 
Like it should be Nathaniel Pete the third. I don't know if it, but absolutely. It was such a regal sounding name. Uh, fortunately now he's in Missouri. I do believe. Um, yeah. A 31 uh, a yard pick six, even Stanford had. So it was just an ass kicking. And then uh, a more spirited battle here. 41 to 23. Some would say um, Tanner McKee, two touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, 218 yards against Vanderbilt. Yeah. Uh, so another road win. And then the losses start coming here. Uh, so, well, first we got. A loss against number 24, UCLA, another top 25 Pac-12 team that maybe shouldn't have been so, but whatever. Uh, riding off that LSU win still, obviously. So 24 to 35 loss against UCLA. Uh, comeback bid fell short. Uh, didn't help that Stanford had five straight three and outs. And then comes the win of the season, I would say. Uh, is that fair to say this is the win of the season? Oh, yeah, undoubtedly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it also, I remember Duck fans were already in this really weird limbo between like, oh my God, we beat Ohio State in the horseshoe and being like, uh, I don't think I like our team, which is this really ugly, chaotic, toxic place. Stanford really uh, helped add some fire to that uh, shit pot here because it ends up going to overtime. Uh, Duck fans will certainly complain about the penalties that did happen that led it there, but they did happen. And actually on an untimed down at the end of regulation, the touchdown pass ties it to send it to OT. And then they, uh, uh, yeah, Anthony Brown just couldn't quite get there. Um, and Stanford pulls off another frustrating overtime Stanford win. Oh boy. This one, this one hurt. I do remember this one hurting. <laughs> But uh, hey, we all celebrating on the farm. Did this feel fun? I'm sure uh, it was a bunch of fun. And I know some of those calls down the stretch were questionable, but Stanford fans will uh, stand really fight to the death that Tanner McKee got the first down on that fourth down quarterback sneak early and in, in, in a big part of that game. So Stanford fans are very much on the calls win against both teams in that game. But that was a great game on the farm. I was actually upset that I was in the press box and I didn't get to storm the field. But it was a bunch <laughs> of it was a bunch of fun for Stanford fans and they had the tiebreaker over Oregon and there was legitimate hope that they would end up winning what looked after that game looked to be a pretty weak Pac-12 North. No joke. I mean, uh, yeah, strange times. And then a loss to ASU number 22 ASU uh, 10 to 28 loss. Unfortunately, ASU ran for 255 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. McKee threw for 356 yards, yep. but he also had three interceptions. Those were the first three interceptions of the season for him. Um, yeah, just, just brutal. And ASU was actually just coming off of beating UCLA. So both these teams had some momentum and then the loss against Wazoo, uh, 31 to 34 loss. Another second half comeback bid falls short for the Cardinal. Uh, Borhe sealed the fate with that short touchdown run with a minute 30 left. And actually Wazoo has a five game win streak over Stanford. I know how frustrating that can be. As a Duck fan, when Wazoo just, for no reason, starts having your number. <laughs> yeah, Stanford actually had a lead, a 31-27 lead uh, midway through the fourth quarter. And Stanford fans got mad at Shaw for playing a pretty conservative, typical David Shaw possession, running the ball a bunch of times. And eventually they got stopped and gave it right back to the to the Cougars. And the Cougars went down, scored the game-winning touchdown. 
Now, this is a game I, I usually have circled on my calendar. I, I typically am watching the Stanford-Washington da- yep. game because Stanford can really muck things up there. Like last season was was fantastic. I loved that game. Um, but this one, uh, it's still close, 13 to 20, but Washington pulls it off. Another game Stanford couldn't close out, 13-12 lead yeah. with, uh, I think, under five minutes left in the fourth quarter. They go three and out, and Washington goes down the field and gets the game-winning touchdown yet again. You hate to hear it, especially because I want Washington losing to the teams with, like, you know, three wins and stuff. Like, I, that's especially what I want losing to. Um, yeah. Then, I mean, Uh-oh. hey, no shame in getting your butt kicked to buy Utah, coming from an Oregon fan. <laughs> yeah, this, was, this was when the injuries had really, yeah. like, yes. the, the, the sort of untold story of Stanford season, because everybody sort of clicked off once they started really losing games, was, like, how badly this team was on offense was affected by injuries. Like, the, you know, all, all three the top wide receivers yep. were out but i think this was the first game that michael wilson was back for though yeah uh, i believe so as well but not um, much difference. <laughs> but yeah he'd been out for like like almost a year um at that point and like and mckee was injured right the, the, or, yes uh, i think yeah pot two started that, or west started it, that game I, That's yeah right. i think it was, west it was started a combo this game between and then sanders started. and west yeah yeah and then pot two started the next game against oregon state so yes. it's like like you know, they were playing, you know, the team that would eventually go on to win the conference and uh, without like any weapons. Like, I mean, it was like, th- I mean, this game was over after three drives, you know, because yep. like, and and it's not like Stanford started out with a bunch of weapons to start out with, you know, like the the running game is, you know, as you you know indicated with the last two games, like they just couldn't they they couldn't rely on their running game. They really haven't been able to for a while now. And, and so they, you know, you they get a lead. They can't hold on to one. And and, yeah. and they weren't getting a lead against Utah. So. Yeah. Midway through the second quarter, one of the reporters in the press box turned to me and asked me if I had anything better to do on a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. And so that was a 7-52 to 52 loss uh, against Utah. And then, as you said, I mean, the injuries were really piling up. And against Oregon State, at Oregon State, that was a 14 to 35 loss. That was Patu's first career start. Um, then after that, actually, Cal was just coming off of barely having anybody to field a team against Arizona. And then they had the game postponed against USC. So in a way, they were actually kind of rested and ready to go uh, against y'all. And they showed because in the 124th big hmm. game, um, yeah, 11 to 41 victory for Cal, including the biggest play in big game history, uh, a 84 yard Garber's pass touchdown to young. And then biggest we ended play all... from scrimmage. There is uh, a, that notable is true. Play there is, there is one more I, I've heard about. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, here we go. Uh, I'll just say 14 to 45 loss against Notre Dame who were really trying to use you as an audition it felt like to yeah. get in the playoffs. But thank God they put Cincinnati in there instead. Cause I yeah. would have been pretty few. <laughs> the most interesting part of the game was the, before the game, when everyone was watching Auburn, Alabama on the jumbotron and seeing the Notre Dame fans reactions to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, so it all came down to that. Uh, a lot of injuries. Uh, I, I mean, some promise from some players, I'm sure. There has to be. And uh, then unfortunate news about some people leaving too. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe we should just get right into this roster. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I sort of gave my take already, but uh, like, I, I think that the, this team looked like it 
had a lot of structural weaknesses in the sense of like, you know, the offense was fairly one dimensional, you know, the defense has been on a slide for, you know, several years now. Mm -hmm. Um, and that like the injuries made a bad situation worse, you know, it's, it's what, you know, led a, uh, a, a team that was maybe like a four or five win team to be like a three win team. Um, but the, the you know, really those structural problems are, are, are really the issue here. And I, you know, just as an overview, like I, I kind of don't see any of those structural problems like going away. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't really see any fundamental changes here. I don't think there's been any staff changes at all, right? Uh, yeah, that's probably the big complaint. I'm sure we'll get into this soon, but Stanford fans all demanded staff changes, as almost any fan base would after a three and nine season. Uh, the big change is them changing from a three four to a four three, and that's sort of the sarcastic remark. Everyone's like, mm. "Oh, we did get a big change. We changed formation." Yeah. Uh, but yeah, besides that, there's not any structural changes. Yeah, you're right. Correct. No snap changes. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I, uh, you know, any if we were talking to to, to any other team, you know, the, you know, put put the blinder on as to who the team is i'm just looking at like the recruiting and the performance and so forth over the last several years you know at, at virtually every position group i'd be asking like well, why isn't this coach fired like yep. except and i'm not going to bother with you <laughs> asking that question with you because like well you know what the answer is the answer is because david shaw like and he's i don't believe he's ever fired a coach has he I don't believe he has and another thing just a sign of the program thing is that stanford coaches aren't getting poached anymore that much i mean i know yeah. i think the rams took our offensive line coach a couple of years ago aside from that it's much less frequent and definitely there's zero talk about any of our offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator getting poached so it's just sort of a health of the program thing it's right to see that the arrow is trending downwards i, well, I i'm kind of surprised that kevin carberry could find work after uh you know that that offensive line performance and frankly i don't think that terry heffernan's really covered himself in glory either but we'll we'll get to that later you know more to the point like i you know i i feel like with a lot of teams like if they didn't have a great year but they still like have a decent recruiting base and like a, a solid coaching staff that like i'd be saying well you know th this this unit could improve or this they could change you you know they could surprise you or they could they could make a change here or whatever and i just feel like stanford of all the teams in the universe like they're gonna perform the way that they did last year because like that's david shaw's whole thing is we're gonna do what we did last year uh do you think i'm off base there uh i would say on the recruiting there's a legitimate there's a legitimate case to be made that stanford really got hurt by the whole transfer portal update no, no rule. doubt and the early signing period and the huge part of COVID not having kids come on campus because that's the huge selling point for Stanford. It's all the, all the talk about once you get kids on campus, they fall in love with the place. So there's a, there's a really valid argument to say it. recruiting dipped quite a bit because of that and Shaw's picking it back up and you see the recruiting rankings are much higher now. I think they have top 15, 20-ish class uh, this year. So there's something to have said for maybe Shaw has figured it out and I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that. But aside from that, the, the no staff changes, not having people getting poached really says that Stanford isn't going to change much this year. Maybe the 3-4 or the 4-3 will change something, but that seems to be more of just a, a re they did that because of personnel reasons. Mm. But no, I don't think you're that far off base, except there is some reason to think that the recruiting will go back to close to what it was when Stanford was at its peak.
Uh, yeah, it is actually one of the gosh, we could waste uh, three hours talking about the unique um, challenges and opportunities for Stanford recruiting. Yep. I actually think it's really fascinating from a structural perspective. And, and I think actually probably the best argument against firing David Shaw is that like it's such a unique landscape that right. like any new coach would struggle, you know, in it, you know, and, and you would not enjoy like immediate, uh, you know, improved returns. There's also sort of a cyclical nature to Stanford's recruiting recruiting because like because nobody because it's hard for them to to get people in or out the door um so they sort of alternate between like big classes and small classes yep. um i i agree with you the 2022 class looks kind of given their recent history surprisingly good but like it also sort of fits with the cyclical yep. kind of thing like um i don't know I, I i would i would not be quick to give david shaw credit for that class it sort of just looks like the cyclical thing to me but it is nonetheless the case that like Dude, most coaches who are coming off of three nine seasons don't pull down, you know, top twenty classes. Right. Like, um, and and you you know you got to say it's a point in his favor. All right, let's uh let's get to the players. Um, the uh, Tanner McKee obviously is sort of the last man standing. It's hard to believe that he's not the starter and you know plays every game that he's healthy for. Um, I. I was really, I, I frankly, I think that Tanner McKee was probably the most, I guess I'll put it this way, impressive quarterback to me in the Pac-12 in the sense that like that dude is fearless. He is getting like no offensive line protection and he is still throwing very accurate passes like a microsecond before he gets annihilated. And like, that's super impressive. Um, I, uh, I only got a, a little bit of eyes on Ari Patu. I don't think he has the same, you know, ability uh i think that's the rotation i think they'd be in deep trouble if mckee got hurt uh what do you think about that take completely agree uh this season could be an absolute disaster if it could be a disaster even if mckee stays healthy oh but, well uh mckee mckee is if mckee gets hurt uh ari patu is just on his second year here now as a sophomore uh, they don't have any depth behind tanner mckee and that's not a shot to patu he's just really young and still hasn't yep. fully developed yet and we won't be able to project how good of a recruit that was until few years from now but mckee is a potential first round pick i think obviously you don't take one person on twitter but pff had him at number six in their in their in the projected mock draft for last year so mckee has potential first round talent uh, he's an excellent quarterback maybe the best in the conference uh, so he's really the key to this team and it's actually kind of kind of mind-boggling just to think that stanford has 10 re starting returners on 10 starters returning on offense a potential first round pick at quarterback and yet they're projected at having 4.5 wins on the season yeah um uh yeah no it, it's pretty remarkable we'll, we'll go through all the positions individually but uh you know just as an as an overview for the offense yeah that's exactly how i see it you know like it's there's a ton of starters returning here but i'm just not real you know optimistic about it um well for two reasons you know one is I, i'm just not in love with tavita pritchard at all like I, I clearly don't love him as much as david shaw does is like treating him like a second son i guess um uh and number two is i really think the offensive line struggles are, are going to continue and so like even though they're returning all those starters I'm, I'm just not a big believer in those starters and i think that's sort of like where all the problems um begin for this offense um uh we'll we'll talk about the the, the o-line when we get to the o-line but like i guess i would be really um, given that let, let's take as axiomatic that the offensive line protection is not going to improve in, in 2022. I maybe disagree with that, but let's just assume that it is. I'd be really worried that McKee 
he's kind of a statue in the pocket, right? He's not the most like yep. mobile quarterback in the universe. Um, it's already been the case that he's, you know, missed a couple of games, you know, with injury. And, mm -hmm. you know, as you say, boy, this quarterback room looks real empty. Like, I, I think the only other guy who's currently on campus is Bo Nelson, who's who I've I believe it was a low three-star, but he walked on um, because Jack West, Isaiah Sanders, and Dylan Plotz have all left. Um, yeah, you're correct. He's the only other one listed on the spring roster. And then I think there's two new kids in the room, a 2022 freshman, uh, Ashton Daniels and Char Charlie Myrer, um, both who I think are, are low to mid three-stars, but I don't think either were on campus for spring. And I mean, I, I really have a hard time seeing those guys playing. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I guess yeah, that that's what I'd be, you know, if I were a Stanford fan, I'd be saying a prayer every single day for Cameron yep. McKee's health. Like, because I, I mean, you know, I, I think there's an argument to be made that they're like, if the Pac-12 gave an MVP award, like the one dude who gives you the most, <laughs> like, and if, if he's absent, your team is screwed the most, like give that award to Tanner McKee. Like, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's my take. Yep, couldn't agree with, more with you. If he goes down uh, this season, is going to be really, really ugly to watch, especially with, as you said, the offensive line struggles. Stanford probably won't be able to run the ball well. They're mm -hmm. going to be very, very reliant on that excellent group of wide receivers we think we have coming back. And if Terry McKee's not there, that all falls apart. Uh, let's talk about that running game. Um, uh, losing, as as Adam said, losing uh, Nathaniel Pete uh, to transfer, who was actually the number one running back, um, or or the 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 running back who got the most yards per carry and yeah. the most total yards. Although I really think the top running back was Austin Jones. Um, I think mm -hmm. he's just a more talented player. Um, but, you know, as the number one back, he was, he was often asked to go into those like power run, uh, you know, situations that David Shaw loves, but the offensive line and tight ends just couldn't execute. And, and so like he wound up having fewer yards and a lower yard per carry average. It doesn't really matter because both of them have transferred out. Austin Jones, I can't believe this transferred to USC. Uh, what a what a betrayal! Who could who could tolerate that? Um, uh, also, I believe losing um, the backups, Justice Woods and Dorian Maddox. Uh, I think that's it. Four departures from the room. Yeah, I think so. Pete and the and Jones were the notable ones, though. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't think that Woods and Maddox got any carries last year, but like they the, both those guys had been around forever, and they were sort of like right. You know, in a pinch, you know, you knew you knew you could use them. Um, returning um ej smith uh who was the number three back last year i watched him in the spring game um I, I i know the fans are exciting for him he looks like he's ready to play like i have no doubts that he can be the number one back yep um you know for this offense uh i'll stop there disagree oh completely agree everyone has really high hopes for ej smith uh not too worried no one's really that worried about losing pete or Jones, the worry is, again, sort of like a quarterback situation. If EJ Smith, who had injury concerns last year, were to go down, what happens next? Yeah, and, and because what I'm seeing for the rest of the room is, well, Casey Filkins got a few carries last he's year. Solid. Uh, I think that I, I think he's OK. I, I don't think he has Smith's talent. I don't think he has Jones' yeah. talent. Um, and then the rest of the guys, oh, boy, I just haven't seen anything out of, you know, uh, Brennan Barrow. Um, I, I don't think I've seen him yet. He was a true freshman last year. Um, uh, the other guys that I've got in the room are Caleb Robinson, Danny McFadden. I believe both those guys are walk-ons. Um, and then I think there's, uh, well, well, let me stop there. Is that correct? Yeah, for the completely agree with, yeah, I completely agree with your assessment on that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'd be worried about Smith getting hurt. Um, and then the interesting question I'm, I'm curious about your opinion on is uh, Arlen Harris, I believe, is a true freshman. Uh, he was a blue chip in the 2022 class, but I don't think I saw him on campus for spring. 
yeah, he was not on the spring roster. He'll get here in the fall. Do you think there's, I know the staff is a super conservative staff and, and so, you know, I, I normally wouldn't think they'd play a true freshman, especially not one who doesn't arrive until the fall, but like the cupboard is kind of bare here. Do you think there's any shot that Harris gets in as the number two back? Potentially as the number two, I think Philkins probably has that wrapped up. We'll see how Harris, how, how Harris is able to impress when he gets on campus, but there are some really desperate times needing to be taken at some spots of the roster. We'll talk about the defensive line a little later, but Stanford's going to have to play some true freshmen on the defensive line. So mm-hmm. who knows Who knows how much they're willing to apply that same principle along the roster. But he definitely has the talent to compete for the number two or definitely number three spot. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, that's a, a more safe prediction. I think that he would probably – I think he'd probably instantly show up and, and come in ahead of Barrow, Robinson, and McFadden, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would hope so, if okay. given his talent level. Well, let's talk about the wide receivers next. I think – Okay, so this was interesting to me. Bryson Tremaine, uh, John Humphreys, and then Elijah Higgins uh, all got injured sort of in succession. Yep. You know, the, it was week five for Tremaine, week six for Humphreys, and I think two weeks later for Higgins. And then Michael Wilson had been injured, I believe, last year, and he had a long recovery time. He came in and played the last four games of the season. Yeah, last four or five games. Yeah. I... I think all those guys are pretty talented. Um, mm-hmm. And if all of them are back, like I, I like this wide receiver room quite a bit. I think that Humphreys and Tremaine are sort of, I I think, I'm interested in your opinion on this. I think that Humphreys and Tremaine are built differently than Wilson and Higgins and that they're the real threats because they're the super tall, undefendable, Stanford-esque uh, receiver that McKee is pretty good at lobbing, you know, passes to, and that like Higgins and Wilson are nice pieces to have, but uh, you know, really Humphreys and Tremaine are are the the guys that I'd be wanting to wrap in bubble wrap. Um, I really think the offense, you know, cratered when those guys were injured. What do you think about that take? Uh, yeah, I think Tremaine really came out of nowhere last year. You guys saw that. It was crazy. It was crazy uh, how yeah. much out of nowhere he came. Yeah, I think his former walk on. Yeah. 90% sure on that. Uh, yeah, he and Humphreys, everyone expecting a big jump from him in his sophomore, junior year, highly rated pro, uh, recruit. Uh, yeah, Higgins also. I, I'm pretty high on Higgins as well. And Wilson also. They're all they're, Higgins and Wilson are a little more shifty type wide receivers. Well, as you said, Humphreys and uh, Tremaine are more of those like typical Stanford tall tree, 6'4 wide receivers. Uh, Humphreys is 6'5. But this wide receiver group as a whole, everyone's really, really excited for it on the farm. Aside from Tanner McKee being the potential first round pick he is this is the best group on the stanford roster and stanford will put them at the top of the pack 12 aside from maybe usc uh, so this is a fantastic group yeah i mean i the i mean chiefly the reason that i, I i'm i'm higher on humphreys and tremaine than wigan than higgins and wilson is not because of any problem with higgins or wilson but simply because i think the structure of the offense and the nature of the offensive line is such that like you're probably not going to be able to get as much use out of those guys you know uh, I kind of and, and the real question that I have about these guys, given, you know, all four of them had some sort of injury problem at some point last year. Um, and I, I didn't see any of these four guys in the spring game, I don't believe. Yeah, they were dealing with some injuries issues, too. They weren't disclosed to us by the coaching staff. So. so so I was about to ask you, like, so are those guys healthy? And your answer is shruggy shoulders uh, emoji. Everyone expects them all to be good to go for the fall is what I would say now. Yes. OK. Um, I, as good as those four, uh, are, uh, I'm not wild about the rest of the room. I, I think the only two guys who are, um, come back with some experience are Bryce Farrell and Silas Starr. Yep. Um, I, you know, uh, I, it, it seemed to me that those guys were, 
it, well, when I analyzed the the target, uh, you know, the, the target distribution when the wide receivers were getting hurt, those guys, sh you know, they should have been getting more catches and they weren't. Instead, those catches were going to the tight ends and uh, the running backs and then Wilson when he came back. Um, I, I sort of think that, that, you know, those guys are not the same kind of talent as the other as as the top four. What do you think about that take? Oh, no, you definitely put those top four and then step down those two and then another tier and who knows if some freshmen could jump into that tier two but as of now it's those four and then yeah Farrell and Starr got a got a bunch of playing time last year when those four went down and then I don't think I've seen yet the other four um, returners Colby Bowman and uh, and Jason Ray's um, Reigns um, and then the two walk-ons David Kazmirovitz and uh, Kale Lucas although I was seeing a lot of Kazmirovitz uh, in the spring game um, I don't think I've seen them play uh, real games yet right uh, no, I um, the interesting one in they took uh, th uh, three new kids in the 2022 class, uh, Medea Rubin, um, Eric uh, Ayamanar, and uh, Jason Thompson. But I uh, only Rubin was available for the spring game. He uh, he looked actually pretty good um, in the spring game. I think he caught two two touchdowns. Yeah, at, at any rate, on the other hand, I well, when we get to the secondary, we'll talk about the secondary, but like I sort of think the entire secondary was out. Yeah, <laughs> for the yeah, spring game was sort of like I don't want to put a whole lot of stock in Rubin, um, or not yet anyway uh I, anyway the, the upshot to all of this is that like i think there are four really good wide receivers i think two of them are extremely valuable to this offense i'd be worried about injuries because we've seen what happens when guys get injured to this wide receiver court uh what do you think about that take uh yeah i agree too but i think people are a little more confident on the depth I think last year was pretty unlucky with all four of those being down yeah. at one point so I think people are very confident in the depth of our wide receiver group this year. Uh, yeah, it's pretty unlikely that, that you know, multiple injuries occur. Um, you're probably right. It's probably, you know, bad luck rather than anything else that caused, you know, all those dudes to be rather than being like made out of glass or anything. Um, it's just like we're uncertain about their status because, yep. you know, didn't see any of them in the spring game. And it could be, you know, I, I, I hate to, you know, speak this into the universe. Let's knock on wood that it's not the case. But like it could be that some of these, you know, one or, or more of these guys – really is out for a while um and you know we just don't know we're just gonna have to wait until fall to, you know yeah. to find out the answer to that question all right tight ends the interesting thing is that there's a lot of guys here who are classified as tight ends but they're sort of like there's two different kinds of tight ends at stanford there's the you know pass catching type um so you know benjamin urasek is you know the obvious example there he's the returner um i think he had a pretty good season i think his numbers were are somewhat inflated by all the wide receiver injury issues um as i you know mentioned a moment ago but like i i you know i'm not really trying to take much away from him i think he's a pretty good tight end um losing on the other hand the primary blocking tight end tusker tucker fisk uh do i have that right yep he's on the falcons now yeah um the uh uh, the, the how do you think Fisk gets replaced? I think Eurosex is going to get a bunch of those minutes, and he's going to have to become a better blocker to get the to get those play, playing time. I think he's definitely as a primary patch catcher. Most people think he's an NFL tight end here on the farm, uh, but I don't know how much this team is going to be running the ball given how given how the offensive line performed last year. So Eurosex is going to have to become a better blocker. We also saw a good amount of Bradley Archer last year. Uh, Lucas Unger could take a step up as well. Uh, Sam Rush, the freshman, was very good in the spring game. I thought he made some great catches, even given most of the secondary uh, was injured. But I think Eurosex needs to become a better blocker, and that'll help him take the next step in Zenable NFL career as well. Do you think when Stanford lines up in, t in, in two tight end sets, it's going to be Eurosex and, uh, and Roosh? 
Roush. How do I pronounce? Am I mispronouncing those guys' names? I don't think I've gotten the pronunciation guide on that <laughs> either yet. Uh, given the way Roush played in the first spring game, I think there's a good chance. I think right now I'd pencil in Archer just because it's again another true freshman. Shaw doesn't like playing them that much. And but Archer I think leaves it, a senior, right? He Archer's came in 2019. Senior. Yep, yeah. he got a bunch of playing time last year. So I'd pencil in Archer right now, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Rush ends up making that step. I the official stat book records Archer is only playing in four games and getting three receptions. Um, but you know, Fisk, it doesn't record him playing in any game, and we know that's a lie because yeah. you know he, he's the blocking guy. Are you telling me that that Archer was a primarily blocking guy um when he was in? Uh yeah, and Hunger got I think got a did he get a little bit of playing time last year? I'm not sure on that, but Fisk uh played a bunch of the defensive line. So that's where that's number. Oh, that's right. I yeah. remember that. Yeah, that was a weird situation. Okay. Um, do you think, uh, what kind of impact do you think the loss of Fisk is going to have? I think it's going to be more felt on the defensive line. Uh, I really don't, but again, they couldn't run the ball to save their lives last year. So yeah. I don't even know how much of an impact he made there, but on the defensive line, we'll talk about this later. They're losing all four of the guys they had yeah. in that three of the f- three four last year so it's going to be a big loss on the defensive line that's sort of how i see it too is like i it you know fisk was such a um let's say eager blocker uh that like it's hard for me to believe that there's not sort of a a step down in the in the blocking capability there on the other hand like what running game did they have (laughs) you know like it's it's like it doesn't really impact the bottom line much um uh do you think the same sort of like configuration we'll see where, you know, where it was, it was very clear division of roles where like, you know, the blocking tight end blocked and the pass catching tight end caught passes. And like, do you see the same sort of like stark differential continuing in 2022? Or do you think it's going to be more of a, you know, mix and mix? I think this time's actually, I think this team's going to rely very heavily on Tanner McKee. So I think you're going to see a lot more just primarily Rossek. I don't know how, I really am not sure how much they're going to run the ball. Uh, I think Stanford fans are actually expecting quite a bit of changes to adapt to this, to the strong wide receiver core we have in Tanner McKee. So I'd be, I wouldn't be too surprised if they just throw out your there and just go like four, four wide your and three wide receivers. I think you might see that a lot from this Cardinal team. Again, that's where their strengths are and I, who knows how the offensive line is going to be. But again, if the offensive line is taking a big step up, then you might see more of those specified roles, man. I, you know, if I were running the team, that's what I would do. Yeah. Um, maybe that's me being my own offensive coordinator, not pretty yeah. accurately predicting Shaw. So I mean, I, 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 I got to say to real, like I, I kind of don't think that's going to happen. I sort of, sort of think we're going to see, you know, David Shaw being David Shaw. And it's, you know, like, I mean, that was the case last year. And it was the case it in was. 2020. And it was the case in 2019. And it was the case in 2018. And like, we didn't, that's not what happened. You know, like, it has. I guess, let me phrase this question differently. Hasn't it been the case that the strength of uh, Stanford has been its wide receiver core for the last four years? And, and yet, uh, it was not the case that we were seeing a wide open offense. Do, is, do you yeah, think I'm wrong no, about that? I agree with that. I do think there's a there's some misconception over time that Stanford just like hasn't adjusted. And if you do go back and look at their offense over the last few years, they have become a more pass heavy offense, spread it out a little more than they did when they were at at their peak. So Shaw has adjusted to some of the more uh, pass heavy offense that some people want to see out of him. However, as you said, it's not to the extent that you most of us would like to see, given where our strengths are on the roster. No. Uh, and then fullbacks, J- Jay Simons comes back. I don't see any change with the fullbacks. Do you? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's uh, talk about that offensive line. I've been dancing around it long enough. Um, 
Okay, so I th this is kind of remarkable. I don't think there's a single departure from the uh, offensive line, not any of the starters, not any of the backups. Did I miss anybody? Uh, maybe, not, maybe not sure about backup, maybe like some fifth-year graduate, but definitely no one of note has graduated. It's the same group coming back. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was seeing from left to right, uh, uh, Walter Rasset left tackle, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Barrett Miller and Jay Cornerbrook were splitting time at left guard. I think it was just like a planned rotation. It was happening on a drive-by-drive -drive basis. Mm -hmm. um, Drake Nugent at center, uh, Bra Branson Bragg at right guard, Miles Hinton at right tackle. Yep. I have that right? Yep. Getting Bragg back is a big hope for this offense, a lie in terms of taking a step. Yeah, I think I saw uh, he was out for the spring game. Is there some lingering issue there or what's going on? No word on that, but we expect him to be healthy. Same situation with the wide receivers. No word, but it's ex the expectation is he'll be ready for the fall. Okay. Um, and then the the number two offensive line that I was seeing in the spring game and the guys who I would therefore expect to be the, uh, the, the backups, uh, it's nice to return six, assuming that Bragg is back. And so, you know, really, we're just talking about what happens if there's two guys who get injured, but multiple guys getting injured on Stanford's offensive line is something that has happened in recent memory. <laughs> so, you know, it's probably behooves us to talk about the backups. The backups that I were seeing was um, Jane, uh, James Pogorels uh, at left tackle, uh, Levi Rogers at left guard. Uh, Hornibrook had slid over and was playing center with the twos. Um, Austin Uke uh, uh, was playing right guard and Connor McLaughlin at right tackle. Yep. Uh, I, do you think I've just named who the backups are? Uh, you probably have. Who knows exactly what they were trying to do in the spring game, but that'd be mm -hmm. my best guess as well. Um, it is a remarkably talented uh, group. Um, and uh, again, the, the recruiting wasn't bad either. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think any of the the true freshmen were on campus yet but like uh you know to to the point that you were making a little while ago um about like hey the 2022 recruiting wasn't bad um you know brought in a, a, a two four stars fisher anderson lucas hire um and then a, a couple of good looking uh, three stars uh, kenji swanson and jake uh Mykula. um uh yeah it's i mean this was this was by far the or not by far but by a uh, noticeable amount the the most talented on paper offensive line um both the starters and just the entire room in the pack 12 they've they've recruited real well which is what makes it so hard to square with like how bad the performance has been um uh it's i mean it's just sort of astonishing i, I put out a tweet a, a day or two ago you know, where I was like, you know, looked at, you know, the sort of the, the key stats, you know, when it comes to evaluating offensive line performance, like their down conversion, um, you know, rushing yards per game, tackles for loss allowed, sacks for loud. And it's like Stanford's on the bottom for all of them, like like bottom of all of FBS. Like it's crazy how how just ineffective this offensive line has been. And so it's like, okay, returning, you know, five 2019 seniors, um, you, know, with, you know, with all this talent in the world, but I'm sort of like, uh, how, what does that get you? You know, like, what do you think? Is there any chance that these guys, like something turns on for them, you know, in 2022? What's the deal? Yeah, well, as you said, they were just objectively horrible last year. It was, they couldn't get anything done on the run. McKee had virtually no time to throw, which makes what he did all the more impressive. Um, I think the hope is that it's year two of Heffernan. Uh, Shaw mentioned in the spring how Heffernan, he didn't really wasn't able to get Heffernan in when he wanted to, to get like a full train, or I think he was there for training camp, but a like full summer with the guys. Mm. So maybe year two of Heffernan, now he's had a full year underneath him. Everyone's getting a year older. They've all meshed together. So there's, there's a clear path to significant improvement. And I think the expectations are definitely not high at all for this group, but I think, a reasonable hope Stanford has is that th 
still be at least league average given their talent level and having another year together. If they can be average, people think this offense could be really, really good. I'm I'm sorry to laugh. I mean, league average yeah. in the Pac-12. Uh, <laughs> um, I, hey, what's the deal with Ted Heffernan? I, I didn't really understand why this guy was hired. Like, I, he, you know, as far as I can tell, his only college coaching experience is like 40 years with different FCS teams that didn't have winning records. Like, I, is... Is there some scuttlebutt about this dude's a secret guru? What's the deal? Your best guess is as good as mine there on this. Uh, Yeah, but yeah, Shaw makes whatever hires he wants. He has the pedigree here where people don't really question or dig into it as much. But yeah, he's Mm -hmm. the guy Shaw chose and heading into year two. He really impressed at the wine and cheese event. I think that's what sold him over. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I... Uh, I have a hard time, but I, I, I believe in the offensive line lock in theory that if like if the light hasn't come on for you by the time you finish your sophomore year, that it's just never going to. Um, so like I I'm afraid I can't be optimistic about this offensive line performance. Um, and and I think, well, the way that you structured it, I definitely agree with like if the offensive line is good, the pieces are there for this to be a decent offense. If yeah. it's not like it's not like. I, I mean, I think everything with this offense starts with the offensive line. That's true. Of most it offenses does. is definitely true of David Shaw, David Shaw's offenses. And like if the pessimist uh, is correct about, you know, this offensive line, I, I think they're looking down the barrel of a, a pretty poor season. Uh, do you, what do you think about that take? I completely agree. It's completely dependent on the offensive line, how good they are. If they're able to give McKee time, these wide receivers will get open for McKee, and McKee will hit them. And they can be quite good and above average, if not near the top of the Pac-12 offensively. If the offensive line is terrible, it's just going to be a repeat of last season. And say maybe McKee goes down for a few games and a bad offensive line, you have a complete mess on your hands. There are just so many it so many thin, thin breaking points here for the Stanford offense, and the offensive line is the biggest one of them all. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, you know, wide receivers benefit from a good running game too. like the, you know, the, this is not, you know, no no matter how much one might believe that David Shaw is going to change up the offense to um, suit the talent that he's got, you know, with the wide receivers and with McKee that like, it's not an air raid. Um, and it's still the case that like, you know, much of the passing structure, you know, of this offense is dependent on getting teams to bite on the run. And like, if you were a rational defense, you know, uh, facing Stanford in 2021, you just didn't bite on the run. Like, you know, it, it, there's just no point, you know, in, in, in doing so. And I, I sort of feel like if they can't establish the run that like the wide receivers can have all the talent in the world, it's, it's you know, it's still going to be a big problem. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the Stanford team, really. Again, there are lots of lots of they have some depth issues here on the offense as well. And that offensive line has to take a big jump. Otherwise, they're not going to do much this year. And as you said, that running game, you know, even even if this wide receiver group, as good as they are and as good as McKee is, David Shaw still loves to run the ball. And as much as I'd hope that and we all hope that he'd spread it around a little more and throw it a little more. Uh, David Shaw is going to want that run to establish the game, and he's going to want that run to close out the game. You saw at the yeah. la- end of last year with against Washington State and Washington. He most most Stanford fans would say he took, completely took the ball out of McKee's hands, and when they went three and out against Washington, up one with under five minutes left in the game, just that type of stuff. You'd love to see him rely on the quarterback, but yet he goes back to that run, and he's just going to keep doing that. It seems like, and they need a good offensive line if they want to execute that. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, like just being able to control the clock, like, even if you've got, you know, a great wide receiver, you know, a great passing offense, like there's just a lot of situations in football where you need to be able to run the ball um, to have a complete offense, you know, not just to control the clock, but also to like keep the defense honest and uh, and so forth. And, you know, really, uh, it just seems so out of character for David Shaw to not want to establish the run that like, right. you know, even if objectively or logically speaking, it's irrational to do so. I just have a real hard time believing that Shaw's not going to try to do it anyway um and and arguably there's a logical argument why he should like running the ball is essential to football even air raid teams run the ball um like it's you know it's just cutting off your nose to spite your face to to not try to run and anyway uh let's switch over and talk about the defense um you have alluded to uh, switching um, from a, a three four to a four three. Um, I, I'm not sure I buy it. Like I, uh, I, I think that this is stru- what I was seeing in the spring game was structured like a three four, just with in their um, passing down package, uh, but all of the time. Um, like, uh, do you think I'm off base? Like, I, I think this is, you know, this is a two, four by force and not really a four, three, um, in that I don't think the OLB who all got converted to edge, you know, on the official yeah. roster, their titles are now all edge, but I'm not seeing like, I'm not seeing a four, three, you know, defensive ends there. I'm seeing, you know, OLBs like Washington's two, four, five structure. Um, what do you think about that take? Yeah, I think it'd be about right. I think it's a little too early to tell. We'll see what's happening. We'll see what happens early on in the season. Uh, I'd also expect a lot of adjustments throughout the season if something works. I was talking to someone yesterday about the 4-3 change, and he and he thought that if it doesn't work out early on, they might even just fall back right back into a 3-4 potentially. And really just there there could be a lot of moving pieces. And as as much as it's it's hard to say we're going to expect some significant changes from Stanford, the defense was just absolutely abysmal. So you could oh it could be fluid and change throughout the year. But again, it's Stanford, so we might not be able to expect that. But the rationale behind changing from the three four to the four three is just we just don't have the talent and big bodies for a nose tackle to be able to plug two gaps. We just don't have the talent there. So it, we don't have anyone proven. So instead of one defensive tackle, we're going to move to two and ask them to do a lot less. Yeah, it's I mean, it's just remarkable. Like, I don't even know how they could put three down linemen on the field, frankly. Like, I yeah, I, I don't I mean, yep. because, well, I mean, just looking at the official roster and, and if what you're telling me is like maybe some of these guys move around, I, I would not have a hard time um, believing that at all. It's just that like, the, the weight classes are all wrong, right? Like the, the guys who are now classified as edge players are like we're talking about like 240, 250 you know, pound guys. These are not mm-hmm. like the 280 pound defensive ends. Um, and it, if they decided like, okay, we're going to be a three down, you know, front now it's like, well, who would the three guys be? Like, I can't, I couldn't even name them. And I, I like, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe Armitage, he's kind of big ish. Like, I don't, I guess, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Cause I want to talk about the defensive line before I talk about the edge guys, but like, I don't, I don't understand who they could move from the edge players to be a defensive tackle in order to provide uh, the rotation that you would need for a three down front. And so therefore I am skeptical that it'll happen at all. I, I believe that they're just going to play what is effectively a two, four, five the entire year um, for the, the, the personnel reasons that we are about to detail, but I wanted to get your take on, uh, on that thought uh, before we do that. No, this is where Stanford fans really, truly have no idea who's going to play along the defensive line. It could be Tobin Phillips. It could be Zach Bucky. It could be Anthony Franklin. We really have no clue. And your best guess is as good as mine here. It's it's really a fluid situation. We don't know how much people have progressed because 
Frank, and you think about the defensive line and just how bad they were last year. And those four guys in the defensive line who are rotating in that three, four, Booker, Wade Perry, uh, Ryan Johnson, and Tucker Fisk, all four of them are gone. So this one of the worst units in the FBS just lost everyone. It's a complete free-for-all. Every spot is up for grabs here. We really have no clue who's going to show up on opening day. It's just remarkable. Like I, uh, you know, just to zoom out, you know, for, for a moment, it's, this isn't a problem that started in 2022, like, nor did it start in 2021 or 2020 or 2019. Like I, I, you know, I've been writing articles about Stanford for, for addicted to quack, you know, for five years now. And like every year I'm just like, Oh my God, like where are the defensive linemen? And they, you know, and it's finally now, you know, you, you name the four guys who are playing. And then the fourth guy, um, Joshua Bacola was the last four star. I don't believe he played um, in 2021, but he transferred out uh, now. Like those four dudes were the four, four stars and everybody else, you know, I, you, you named Tobin Phillips, uh, Anthony Franklin, Zach Bucky. I believe those are the only scholarship defensive linemen that they have in the room right now. Like they're bringing in two. Well, uh, Bailey's listed as an edge. You were right, but Ernest Cooper also is. Oh, Bucky's. Uh, oh, you said Bailey. Yes, Bailey. Yeah, Bailey's. Listed yeah, right. No, I'm. But yeah, uh, yeah, right. No, I, I just mean the defensive line, like uh, as officially gotcha, you know gotcha, classified gotcha. on the roster, defensive linemen. You know, which I, I agree with you. Just thinking of them as defensive tackles is the right way to do it. I think Phillips, Franklin, and Bucky. That's it. You know, I, the other mm-hmm. guys are are Merritt, Lester, and Katona. I believe all three of those guys are walk-ons, right? So too. Yep. And then they brought in, I think it's hard to say because they haven't gotten on campus yet, but there's um, four uh, true freshmen, uh, Jackson Moy, Zach Rowell, uh, Pat Cahey, and uh, Kaz Melzer, um, all of whom are, are low to mid three stars. I, I believe those four, like given their sizes, I could be wrong about this. I the at least Moy and Rowell, I think, are going to be defensive tackles. But I don't think any of the four guys that I just uh, mentioned, Moy, Rowell, Kauke, and Melzer, I don't think any of those guys are on campus yet, right? Uh, no, none of them are. I, it's, I mean, y- you said earlier that you thought um, there's a possibility, given how uh, few bodies there are in this room, that that some freshmen might wind up playing. Do you, do you really think that's true, that you know, Moy or Rowell might see the field this year? I'd be surprised in the defensive tackle position. I was more talking about the edge position, which we'll get uh-huh. to in a minute. But yeah, here it's just you have some guys who are a bit older and I guess Tobin Phillips is really the main guy who everyone thinks will get a substantial amount of playing time. But we've seen he's the big guy, right? He's like, yeah, he's close to 300. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen nothing of virtually nothing of him on the field, though. So it's it's just question marks about. So I guess you could potentially achieve true freshman here, but I'd be very surprised if you do. No, I I mean, here's what I'm expecting to see. And you tell me if you think I'm wrong. Um, I'm expecting to see Phillips and Franklin. So because they got some experience last year as basically the stars and basically, and and also they were playing with the ones in the spring game. Um, I'm expecting to see uh, Bucky and Lester as the, um, as the rotational guys behind them. And then uh, I'm kind of not expecting to see anybody else. And I'm also expecting to see this unit just get run over a lot um, for fatigue and talent reasons. Um, that That's my take. Do you think I'm wrong? I, I agree with you. I think Phillips, Franklin, Bucky, and Lester is definitely the best of the rest, it seems. That's what I've heard. Let's talk about the edge players um, or outside linebackers, as I insist on thinking of them as. Oh, uh, I agree. <laughs> losing uh, Gabe Reed and Jordan Fox, uh, who were the um, returner or who were the starters last year. Uh, Reed is transferring to Utah, which I yeah. think 
just as an editorial note, a peculiar decision because like that dude's an OLB and Utah plays a four down front. And like, they just lost a four star and Xavier Carlton to Cal because like he doesn't, he's an outside linebacker by his build and he doesn't fit in their defensive system. So I'm like, Gabe, what are you doing transferring to Utah? Uh, but anyway, he has, um, uh, uh, also losing the other Fox who I don't think is related to Jordan Fox. It's just a coincidence. Um, and, uh, you think they are related? I believe they are. Yeah. Well, I'll check you on that. (laughs) Uh, who cares? They don't play for the Cardinals anymore. Uh, also losing a uh, Tangelo uh, Kafusi who played a little bit. Um, uh, a couple other guys who I don't think played uh, to to Umura and Caleb Kelly. Um, it, it's sort of a lot of departures, but the the headlines are Reed and Jordan Fox, right? Yeah, 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 correct. Um, returning a lot of guys with some experience, but, uh, you know, so Steven Heron, I think is probably the headliner. He was a four star in 2019. I thought he flashed a bit in previous years. I kind of like him. Um, uh, three other guys with some experience last year. Uh, it, although it's probably worth teasing them out. Uh, Lance Kennelly and Aeneas DeCosmo, um, both come back. Those guys, uh, I think are going to be upperclassmen this year. Um, the interesting one to me is, uh, Aaron Armitage, who was a four star in the 2021 class. So he's a true freshman last year, but he did see the field a little bit. He got a few tackles. Um, uh, it, it's hard for me to gauge, you know, uh, uh, Armitage, um, simply because I haven't seen him much and it's so unusual for Shaw to have played, um, a true freshman. Uh, what do you think about his chances of, of breaking in and, and being the other starter? Everyone's pretty high on his chances. Uh, we have a lot of high hopes for him, uh, him as well as Stephen Heron's going to have a big role to play this year as senior. Uh, I think Kennelly's, I've heard his name floated around a lot. David Bailey, of course, is a big, big question mark, but he's, yeah. that, that's why the main person I was talking about when you know, Shaw's going to play a true freshman, it's going to be David Bailey. He was I, here in the spring. He's your guy. I totally agree yeah. with you. In fact, I was seeing him play with both the ones and the twos in the spring game. And like, and, and he was the crown jewel of the 2022 yep. class. Like, I mean, he's the number one dude in that class by a wide margin. Um, he looked good to me. He looked ready to play, frankly. Like, in fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you're right. And, um, and, and the starters were Bailey and Heron um, and that the Bailey just like jumps everybody else in the room. Yep. Cause I, I, you know, I, Armitage, his potential aside, like I I've sort of seen Kennelly and I've seen the Cosmo, you know, I wasn't wild about him. Armitage, I'm willing to cut him a little slack cause he was a true freshman last year. I think he's got a high ceiling. Although frankly, I sort of think like he's, he's built to put on some weight and become a defensive tackle. I, 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 well, let me pause and ask you, do you think there's any chance of that happening? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we have some offensive in the depth in the offensive line room. They could have a couple of people switch their potential that Armitage, I guess, as of right now, I'm not sure that's what the coaching staff envisions for him, but I mean, you never know what could happen, but I'd be, I'd be more surprised by that than offensive line. Then I could see an offensive line switching over at this Hmm. point, given how, given how little depth there are, maybe plug a big body and defensive tackle. Uh, I would peg, I'm just going to go out ahead on a limb and say it. I think they're going to play Bailey. I think they're actually not only do I think I they're agree. going to play him, I think they're going to start him. Uh, I think I think it's going to be Bailey and Heron as the starters, and I think it's going to be you know two out of the three of Kennelly, Armitage, and DeCosmo as the backups. And then I don't think we're going to see. Well, let me stop there. I I, I think those that's the the two deep right there. Do you disagree? No, I'd agree with that. I like I like the pick of Bailey starting maybe. Armitage over him at this point, but very I'm kind of torn between those two, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Bailey there. I think the ship has sailed on Wilfredo Abar. Um, he was the four star who came in in um, 2019. I just think I don't know. We, he's had enough chances to play, and he hasn't played. And I think that's a verdict. Like, what do you think about that? 
Uh, I'm not sure this ship is totally sailed on him. Only a sophomore. I, I mean, he's a sophomore because of COVID. Like right. Yeah. Uh, he might. I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect to see that too much of him, and especially with some of the guys coming in at the edge position, I would. Yeah. I. I, I doubt we see that much of him. Well, that is the remarkable thing about um the uh, about the you know this unit is that it has by far been the best recruiting group in 2022. It's not just yep. Bailey. Cooper. It's also two guys who will come in in the fall, Ernest Cooper and uh, Tevaru Tafiti, um, who are also four stars. Like you know, this position looks pretty good, you know, going forward. Um, it's, you know, the question is just going to be is like, you know, Shaw have the, the, uh, the guts to, to play the true freshman. I, I mean, I really just watching him play, he just looked like a cut above everybody else in the room, including here. And, um, and frankly, including Jordan Fox last year. Um, like, I, I really think that guy could be, you know, something of a difference maker. And, and it's just, you know, in my opinion, it's just going to be the question of whether or not, you know, Shaw's got the guts. What, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I think desperate times will call for desperate measures. But again, we've seen, said that a lot with Stanford and they refuse yeah, right. to change. So who knows? And also, you, I think you're right. The Fox brothers are not related. So I've been living a lie Weird. here. Weird. <laughs> All right. Inside linebackers. On paper, a critical qualifier here. On paper, uh, this unit looks great. Uh, it's returning all four of the guys in the rotation. Uh, Levani Damuni, uh, Ricky Meason, who I believe you classify as the starters. Uh, Jacob uh, Mangum Farrar and Tristan Sinclair, who were the backups, but it was like a pretty heavy rotation with yeah. those guys last year. Um, all of them are upperclassmen. They all came in in like 2018 or 2019. Um, ton of experience beneath their belts. I, I think, you know, you're talking about a combined like over 250 tackles on their careers. Um on paper, I think you'd be pretty happy with this group, right? Yep. This in in practice, though, the er, in in actual gameplay, the tackling was abysmal last year from this group. Uh, yes, Miazon, Matt Mango Ferrar, especially, uh, just missed tackle after missed missed tackle. So while they have the talent and they seem to be getting in from pretty decent position, uh, they need to figure out how to tackle. Hopefully, over this off season, and if so, this would be a pretty solid group. But as of right now, they were they were a pretty big problem in almost as big of a problem as the defensive line was in terms of how poor the running defense was last year. Uh, yeah, I really agree. And in, in fact, I think if you're looking for like a, you know, I, I think if you're looking for number one to blame for, you know, for the defense, you know, defense's problems over the last several years, I, I probably look at Lance Anderson, to be honest, I am not real wild, but that guy's defensive coordinator and like the, the slide that Stanford has been on is like, remarkable you know number two I, I would have to say you know it looks like this you know I, i've been writing about this quartet of dudes you know demuni muse and magnifier yep. and sinclair for like five years now like and every single year it's like okay you know these guys are you know they're ready to do you know ready to get it done I, i'm just like no they're not i, I don't think it's ever gonna happen like I, I, you know kind of like i was saying with the offensive line like at a certain point i'm just like i, I kind of write guys off and i think i've written off all four of these guys to be perfectly honest with you. And I, I'm not asking you to necessarily endorse that, but I will ask you to endorse this uh, part of it, which is that like the fact that all four of those dudes return and they're so experienced is a trap for Stanford because it means there's no way the rotation is going to change. Like it's either these guys get good or there is no option B. No, I, I somewhat agree with that. I think Miazon and Megan for are maybe slightly different just because they've been beat up throughout their throughout their careers here at Stanford. So maybe they have a little bit longer of a leash in terms of making that assessment. But yeah, certainly the fact that all four of them are back, none of them really even got close to testing the NFL waters. And with this much experience under their belt is sort of shows you where their ceiling is at. There's a couple of the guys in the room, although I, I gotta be honest, like, I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't think four. they're going to have, 
yeah i don't think i don't think there's any real death problems because like you know there's four of them like it'd be very unlikely that there's so many injuries that they need to turn to somebody else in the room but if they had to or there's kind of nobody else in the room i, I count three walk-ons um jorgensen i think got a scholarship um but uh, the other two are uh, jason call and uh, william stockwell uh there's one other guy a tr- a true sophomore essay uh, dubray i don't think i've seen him yet um and then two um incoming freshmen benjamin hudson and matt rose but they're not on campus yet i i have a hard time seeing any of the six human beings i just mentioned um seeing the field this year what do you think uh yeah i agree with that those four i think are pretty much locked in as a heavy rotation in that inside linebacker position let's talk about the secondary this one you're really gonna have to help me with because like the entire secondary was out for the spring game <laughs> yep. and I, I assume that all of that was just precautionary right yeah that's what everyone thinks same sort of thing with the wide receivers and so yeah same thing I mean, I, I don't believe any of these. Guys, well, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't believe that any of these guys were really seriously hurt during the season. And so it doesn't no. seem to be it doesn't seem to be one of these things where like, oh, man, maybe that injury was more severe than we thought. And they're going to be out for a significant amount of time. It seems like it's all just like, you know, just little nicks and stuff. And they just didn't yep. want to risk it in the spring game. Right. Yep. That's what we all believe. OK, uh, here's what I was. And so, like, for example, Jimmy Wyrick, um, uh, I believe that guy is a cornerback, but I was seeing him play nickel and free safety in the yep. spring game. Um, I, I think he'd be in the, you know, the cornerback rotation, you know, the outside two corners um, for 2022, right? Yep. And sometimes with Stanford, our nickel ends up playing more of a safety role anyway with the way yeah. we play our defense. Yes, I, I agree with that assessment. Um uh, I guess I, well, Kyrie Blue Kelly uh, is coming back. We didn't get to see him in the spring game, but you know, that guy really had a, um, He's you know, very good. Yeah, no, he really came. Uh, um, oh, gosh, I'm blanking. Um, the guy who went to the NFL, Stanford's best defensive player in 2019. Um, Paul, Paulson Thank you. Right. Yeah. Kyle Kelly really, really came out in 2019. I was really worried when Paulson Adebo, you know, left the team that there wouldn't be anybody to step into to his shoes. But like Kyle Blue Kelly really did. Um, and I was not wild about him at the beginning of his career. Um, so he really, you know, showed me something. Um, I think he's obviously got his starter spot, you know, mm-hmm. resumed. Um, it looked like there was a lot of rotation for the other corner spot, like, um, I was seeing Nicholas Toomer and Ethan Bonner. Um, I think there's been high expectations for Celine Turner Muhammad, but I, I have not really seen him play that much. Like, how, how do you peg the rest of the cornerback rotation looking like? I think most of like Salim Turner Muhammad as number two, we still have very high hopes for him. He had a really good sophomore year. I'm so sorry. Think- do you mean number two behind Kelly or is the other cornerback on the other side of the field? Uh, no, behind and as the other cornerback on the other side of the field. I think there are hopes for him that he could potentially be that starter. Uh, Bonner is another guy who's gotten a lot of playing time. Uh, as you said, Manley gets a lot of playing time as well, but sometimes more in a safety role. Uh, Slocum, I think, got some playing time last year. He's still very mm-hmm. young, though. I don't expect to see too much of him this year. But yeah, the high, the hopes are still there for Salim Turner Muhammad to be that number two cornerback uh, next to Kelly. Okay, they're playing a game uh, tomorrow. I, I magically wave a wand and everybody's healthy right now. Um, who are the two cornerback starters and who are the two backups? I like Kelly and Turner Muhammad and then Toomer Bonner. Hmm. Uh, and Manly and you think the safety role. And Wyrick too, I assume. Or Wyrick in the safety role. Wyrick would be some cornerback slash safety. Yeah. By the okay. way, we could have used that um, uh, wand at the end of the 21 season for Stanford here. Would have really yeah, helped right. out. Uh, 
I think a lot of teams could use that wand. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I like that rotation too. It's why, um, although I must say, I am curious about you picking out Salim Turner Muhammad. I know that people have been talking about him for a long time. I've never seen it on the field. Um, what's, uh, what do you base that on? Uh, his mostly his sophomore year. And then last year he was maybe still recovering from injury. He got hurt, I think at the end of his sophomore year. And last year it was also just sort of a mess in terms of defensively overall, since they couldn't get any sort of pressure on the quarterback, even when, uh, they couldn't rush the quarterback. They couldn't uh, stop the run. So really, it was it was kind of hard to analyze a lot of our secondary last year. Kelly was obviously fantastic and shut down Drake London in the Coliseum. But aside from that, uh, Turner Muhammad, I think, has the highest ceiling of the rest of the quarterback group. And my my guess is that he'd show that improvement over the course. Well, I think he's the only four star in the cornerback room. I think, you know, everybody else, including Kelly, um, you know, is a is a mid three star. Um, And to be honest, like I. I sort of like Dwayne Aquina as a coach, but like I have not, I just honestly have not been wild about the secondary for a long time. Um, like I, uh, how would you, I, I, I realize the difficulty that you just stated about like, well, there's no pass rush isn't sort of difficult to, to evaluate the secondary, but like, uh, I want you to do it anyway. Uh, you know, bracket Kelly. Um, I, I, I'm just not wild about this unit. Um, do you think I'm off base for, for, for feeling kind of down on it? I think people are much higher than you are here on the farm. Uh, people are actually quite positive on how Akina's done as United said, Paul Sanadivo said a couple of other good guys. Uh, this is just a solid group all around. People think it's not nothing. It's nothing special. Uh, the safety part of the secondary is much more on the very, very good side than the cornerbacks are. But uh, Kelly, we think can be one of the best cornerbacks in the conference and a draft pick. Uh, we still have high hopes for return of Muhammad and some of the other guys are just solid depth pieces. So, I think the reviews are very much quite positive for Akina here on the farm. Well, they certainly got a lot of reps, you know, last year, um, you know, like it's like, even if Kelly and whoever the other starter is gets injured, like they can plug in, I think four other guys who have, you know, 20 plus tackles last year. Like, yep. it, you know, they're not, they're not going to be hurting for depth. You know, the question is just sort of going to be like some of the other positions that I, in my opinion, I, I think this sort of looks like the ILB and the offensive line room where it's like, well, these guys have a lot of experience, but like, but maybe they suck. <laughs> uh, it sounds like Stanford fans might disagree with me there. Though. <laughs> um, all right. The safeties. Um, uh, looks like there's one loss here of a starter, Noah Williams, right? Um, but returning the other starter, uh, Kendall Williamson, I assume he's got his job locked up, even though I didn't see him in the spring. He game. does. Um, and uh and then i'll th there's a couple other returners who had some experience uh alakai gilman and jonathan mcgill um as we mentioned uh wyrick and manly you know are probably you know could could you know serve as safeties but i think all of them are going to get jumped by the transfer from yeah. oklahoma patrick fields um who i don't think we saw in the spring game i think his transfer hadn't gone through yet or i don't know what was the deal with fields I think you just didn't see him in the spring game. I saw him on the field during practice oh, okay. and training. Yeah, uh, but actually, funny story about him. He got into Stanford without uh, before telling Shaw he wanted to play football for them. So he got in oh, separately awesome. through the normal admissions process and that's... then called up Shaw and was like, hey, you want me to play for you? And they were like, sure. Is he a, is he a grad student? Is it a grad transfer? A uh, grad student, yep. Yeah, that was the thing. I, I, I just wrote an article about Colorado um, 
Uh, and it was bizarre learning about Colorado and Stanford both have the same, frankly, bizarre and not helpful um, uh, transfer policies regarding their um, progress towards degree requirements where basically like unless you have been meticulously planning your transfer to those schools, like you essentially cannot transfer as an undergraduate, like, you know, in, in between, like you, you have to have so many credits towards degree every year and also a certain amount of them have to be from the institution that you are transferring to that like it's impossible and it's why uh colorado basically only takes grad transfers and stanford basically takes no transfers at all like i believe that fields and sanders the quarterback from uh, air force academy are like the only transfers yep. that stanford has accepted and and the fact that like Fields just got in as a grad student and then told david shaw hey i might like want to play football for you like <laughs> yeah that makes sense um i i, I can tell you i since i you know, Oregon played Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl last year, mm-hmm. so I reviewed every single game that they played. Um, I thought Fields was their best safety. I thought he was a, a cut above in terms of like just smarts, um, like you know, smarts on the field. I, I can't comment about how good of a grad student he might be. Uh, um, but like, the, uh, yeah, I think that's a good transfer. Um, I, I think that Stanford's probably going to put him to use uh, right away. You think I'm, uh, what do you think about that? Oh, he's surefire starter. And the, people are really excited about the safety group overall. McGill and Williamson both have a ton of experience. Wyrick was solid last year when he got time. Uh, this is just a really good group. And aside from the wide receivers, probably the strongest position group on this team. So I'm seeing, uh, I, I would probably say Williamson and Fields is the starters. And then some combination of like Gilman, McGill, Wyrick, Manley, you know, to fill out the group. I, I kind of don't, the guys that I was seeing a lot during the spring game, uh, Mitch Ligber and, uh, and Caleb Ellis, I don't think we're probably going to stay yeah. on the field given the rest of that depth. And the I fact that those guys are true sophomores. Um, same thing. They got three other uh, uh, true freshmen, uh, Colin Wright, Terry Williams, and uh, Scotty Edwards. I don't think we're going to see those guys either. I, I think we know the, the, you know, the safety group is going to be, I, I think, you know, uh, well, frankly, I had my problems with Oklahoma's defense too. Um, I, I kind of think USC is going to, you know, discover that Alec Grinch is not a great defensive coordinator, but setting that aside um, in particular, the way that their cornerbacks cover is just absolutely totally screwy, but fields isn't a cornerback. So who cares? Uh, the, like I, I sort of think this is a you know a similar question as the other units that I've noted. It's like, well, we know who these guys are going to be, but the defense was just atrocious last year. So, like, how much can you really trust the returners? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess the you know I'm not asking the the Stanford student to say, oh no, they suck. Uh, <laughs> but like, man, that's sort of my I don't know how to finish that sentence politely. <laughs> what what I guess only let me wrap up this discussion of the defense with this question. Like, given how much is coming back. Uh, what are reasons to believe that this defense is suddenly going to not be uh, one of the worst defenses in college football? What, yeah. has, has there been something in particular that you can glom onto and say like this, this is why? I think people really, really like our secondary. You're not as high on the quarterbacks as most of us, most of us are, but we think Kelly, Salim Turner, Muhammad, uh, then the safety group is going to be very, very good in pass coverage. Now the issue is the, that, and okay, I guess on the inside linebackers, the hope is that they're a year older, another year of experience, but who really knows there? Have they hit their ceiling already? And then I guess people are kind of people are excited to see some of the young guys, but there's really zero expectations on the defensive line. And people, I, most people I've talked to still think we're going to give up to like seven yards a run, like we were near the end of last mm. season. So there, there's really not that much hope for improvement unless some freshman like a Daily Bailey really breaks out and a Tobin Phillips has a pretty good year. So uh, hope the hope is that the secondary will cover up a lot of the ugliness in the front seven well yeah but just like we were talking about on the offense like if 
if you can run the game, if you can run the ball, the game is like three quarters of the way over, yep, you know, like, you know, I, I could definitely see, you know, even if, even if the secondary is much better than I think it is in between, there's probably going to be pass rush issues um, unless David Bailey really is the, you know, the, 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 the greatest guy in the world, which he may very well be. Um, and, and, you know, if they're not able to stop the run, the, you know, football, a lot of stuff changes in football, but if you can't stop the run, you can't stop the run. It's sort of like, yikes. Well, uh, that's my take on this football team. Uh, what do you think about the the, the record for 2022 in the last couple Which, of Which uh, I, I want to throw here just how strange this schedule is. <laughs> Starting it off with, well, I mean, horrible. with a patriotic oh. uh, game here because we're going to the Patriot League versus Colgate, not one you see very often, uh, FCS team. Week two, USC. Uh, which I, I guess it's kind of nice to, to, if you have to play Lincoln Riley like as early as possible. But then just in general, I think this is the most brutal two teams to miss out of all the Pac-12 teams. You miss Arizona and you miss Colorado. Uh, those are teams you want to play. <laughs> I think that's the most brutal so far. You got uh, road games against your other two California rivals. Road game at Eugene, um, at Washington, at Notre Dame, and then you're ending the season versus BYU. This is a sketch. You mean Pac-12 champion BYU? (laughs) This is a brutal, strange schedule, I have to say. Yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. Uh, The over-under is four and a half wins, I think. I'd probably lean under around four wins. I think the home games get pretty manageable at times. I think the Colgate's a win. And they can beat Oregon State at home. Arizona State seems to be a mess right now. They could win that game. Maybe they can beat Washington State at home. Uh, steal some game, some wacko game on the road like it always happens. Guaranteed win against Hopefully us. Not in Guaranteed <laughs> win against us. Don't worry about it. Right. Yeah, uh, I guess I, I'd say that it's it's I think it's more just sad looking at the roster for this Stanford team because again you have ten returning starters on offense and that one guy who's not returning is a running back and EJ Smith is a very very capable replacement so you have a potential first round pick at quarterback very very good wide receiver core and a very and it looks like to be a very solid running back and your offensive line just doesn't have much hope in it that they could be anything more than very very average and they'll probably be below average and same with the defense that secondary looks really good especially that safety group. And just the defensive line is just completely shot, losing all four of their starters who were near the bottom of the FBS last year. So there's a lot of talent in certain places on this roster, but it's not spread out at all, and they're in the trenches. Every All signs point to Stanford getting destroyed in the trenches yet again, another very underwhelming season for this group. So it's just very frustrating to look at this roster. It's so crazy you know, to, to say that. I, I obviously think that you're correct, but like if we hopped in the time machine, went back 10 years you know, to, to the summer of 2012 and said the big problems that Stanford is going to face is that <laughs> their offensive and defensive lines are going to be super problematic um, and, and they'll be lucky to win four games. Uh, like I think, that, you know, the Stanford fan would probably probably punch you in the face like that sounds like a crazy thing to think um but here They'd we are like well i guess david shaw must have left for brighter shores is that is that, the, is that what happened <laughs> well um scoring well well above average hence why he went, 
goes to Stanford. Uh, Jabril Taha, you've been absolutely fantastic, just like last season. Um, you can find his stuff at Stanford Daily, at Stanford Sports, at Jabril Taha, J-I-B-R-I-E-L-T-A-H-A. And, of course, on the uh, men's uh, Stanford Men's Basketball Podcast, which you got to be following. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, it really helps us out so much to learn about the Stanford team. And like we said before, we're going to be furious uh, after you beat us, and we're going to have to have you on to preview that game as well. <laughs> Knowing exactly how humiliating it'll be to lose to Stanford yeah. yet again is an important thing to understand. Feel free to call your shot now. You know, like how many overtimes do you think it'll take? Uh, I'm not that optimistic last this year, but I wasn't optimistic. Either I listened last to last year, so year and it, it was it was hysterical. I mean, we were all joking about exactly like this like oh it'll probably be a stanford win but (laughs) (laughs) well thanks so much again for hopping on of course anytime thanks for having me guys and then uh, at Hithloday, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y, the number one. You can also find his work on the website, Addicted to Quack, at Addicted to Quack. Hithloday, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Same. See you all next week. Quack, quack, go card. <laughs>